We're in the third week of our series that we've titled Arise, and it's about us answering the call as a family, the family, our family, to, to rise up and dare to be different, to be who God has called us to be, to be a people that's not afraid to change the status quo, a people that, is, that are tired of just doing things the way that culture has de determined and dictated to us, but to dare to be all that God has created us to be, and that is a unique culture where covenant, commitment, and relationship and family is being expressed by the way we lives our, live our lives together. I'm excited about that. I, I love my church family. Today we're going to begin uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to journey through Nehemiah chapter 3. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to read all of Nehemiah chapter 3. One only needs to drop down through the first five verses and realize that that's probably not a good idea. Because it's like reading the Chronicles, man. I mean, you have all those names and, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to prove anything to you. I can't, let me just tell you, I cannot pronounce all those names. So I won't even try. But there is a passage in 1 Thessalonians that I think really captures the essence of what, of what uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 is trying to get across to us. And, um, and I want to read that passage to you today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you flip over to the New Testament, beginning at verse 9. I know it probably says 12 up there, but I think I'm going to begin in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Everybody say encourage. encourage. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish them. In other words, those that are that, that are uh, in the position of authority, those who are spiritual leaders and guiders and have been uh, giving you instruction. That's what the word admonish means. So, so, um, so honor those who in the Lord admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Tom, if you'll turn me down just a minute, I want to pray. I don't know about you, but... I feel somewhat disconnected standing up here right now. So I want to pray for a spirit of unity in this place. And it could just be me, but I want to pray for that anyway. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for unity, for clarity. I pray that whatever whoever's sitting here and their mind is maybe on that dinner that they're going to cook when they get home tonight or, or what's about to happen this afternoon, I pray that, we, that you bring in the wandering mind. Lord, I pray that, 
that you will move in our midst and help us to feel and sense your presence, your presence that brings us all into unity. So I pray for that in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray for me. And if it's just me, Lord, I pray that you will move in me. Once again, speak through me and, and make it clear what it is that you have for your people, my brothers and sisters, my family today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I titled this sermon today, Team Works. Team Works. Over the last two weeks, I've been talking about the importance of, of family. And, and so today I want to talk to you about the concept of team. Teamwork family is at the heart of any well-functioning family. Teamwork is. I sat down, we have, Pelzetta and I have the, the awesome privilege of, of uh, mentoring and counseling different couples. And we sat down with a couple this week who we've been mentoring now for, for, uh, for a few weeks. And this week they walked into our office. It was the last week that we were going to meet with them. And they said to us, if we've learned anything out of our time with you, it's that we function a whole lot better when we're working together as a team, sharing individual roles and bringing those collectively together as a family. That we function really, really well in our marriage when we work together as a team. Teamwork is important. On the task of teamwork and of getting things done, Henry, Henry Ford makes this observation. He says, coming together is a start. Staying together is progress, but working together is success. It's team. Teamwork is at the heart of any well-functioning family, including us. Teamwork is a reflection of the heart of God for us. Did you know that the Trinity is a team? They function as a team. From creation all the way through the, the end of Revelation, we're going to see that that the Trinity functions and works as a team. Our salvation is a team. Planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, processed daily in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And when God, when God wanted to, to defeat Satan in his work here in this world, here's what he did. He creates man. He creates woman. He creates family. And family becomes the conduit through which the image of God is transferred from one generation to the next. Team. Jesus demonstrates the power of team when, when he, God in the flesh, comes down and chooses 12 men. Forms a team with these 12 men and these 12 men turn the world upside down. Team. Hmm. And then God leaves his church in this world as a demonstration of team. What, what, woo. Did I scare you guys? It scared me, man. I was asking God to speak, but I don't know. I was... So God leaves his church in this world as an expression of team. Why? So that his, his plan and his purposes can clearly be seen as we demonstrate unity and love and harmony in the way that we deal with each other daily. 
I'd say this. I think it can be argued that any major move of God in Scripture throughout the history of this world has been carried out through the team approach. And Nehemiah chapter 3 oozes with the concept of team. Now, so by way of review, I know we're in chapter 3. I want to go back. For those of you who might not have been here, I know it's summertime. Some of y'all have been out on the, on the river fishing, and you owe me some fish, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call any names, Ron Bernier. <laughs> yes, God is good. Chapter 1, Nehemiah inquires of an entourage that came up from Jerusalem, these exiles, up from Jerusalem to the capital city of Susa. And he asked them one question that changes his life forever. And as they give him the answer, Nehemiah sits back and he listens. He does three things. He listens and he, he absorbs the need. And then the need leads him into a time of prayer where he seeks God before he responds and then he acts. His action is an answer to his calling on his life. See, he was the cupbearer to the king. He was the person that was in position to influence the king. Now, I've said a couple things in, over the last couple weeks, but I want to I bring this to light, too. You know, the cupbearer was in the most personal position to serve the king of anyone in the kingdom. The cupbearer was privileged to things that even the king's wife or wives weren't privileged to. It was a, it was a position of, of, of intimacy, personally. Personally, he was in, invested in the king. And so the cupbearer became friends with the king. See, Nehemiah had an audience with the king. God placed him there. So the king grants his request. Nehemiah asks him, can he go down to Jerusalem? He grants his request and he begins his journey down to Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah spends the first three days in stealth mode where he does three things. He, he first of all inspects the city and he sees for himself everything that everyone had told him, what the exiles had told him. He sees it with his own eyes. And then he invites others into the process with him to share what he's seen and what he believes God is calling him to do. And then the third thing that happens is others come along and they strengthen his vision. And they go to work. I gave this statement a couple weeks ago. I want to give it again too. Today, God uses the challenges in what he's called us to do to shape us and make us more like him. Read that again. God uses the challenges and what he's called us to do to shape us and to make us more like him. Now I am going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first couple verses out of chapter 3. All right? Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred and as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. And so on and so on. Next to him, next to him, next to him. 
I call this the next two plan. It's a phenomenal plan. Nehemiah was an amazing manager. He's an amazing strategist. And the next two plan was designed to take people and bring them together so that they could rebuild the wall together. It was, it was a, an amazing undertaking. Let me give you some, some statistics here. The word next to or beside or beyond this appears 28 times in this chapter. There are 45 sections of construction going on with these, with these work groups that are mentioned here. These teams were skillfully divided into 50 manageable groups organized by affinity, by affiliation, and by geography and need. 38 men mentioned in this chapter, eight different vocations, six different cities, seven different rulers, and many incredible family dynamics mentioned right here in this chapter. So Nehemiah employs what I call the next two plan, and he does this on purpose. It's one plan, and he breaks it down into two parts. So let me give those parts to you. Here's the first. He assigns sections of the wall next to the homes of the people. That's the first thing. Because this provides a high motivation. Because the people next to, the people that, are, are, that he assigns uh, these sections are living in a place right next to where they, or they're working in a place right next to where they live. So they have a vested interest in what's taking place. And here's what that looks like. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for, for 30 plus years. And by the way, let me clear something up. I, someone said to me, last week, Pastor, you, you called your wife a hoarder. I really didn't call my wife a hoarder. Did I call my wife a hoarder? Somebody said no, somebody said yes. I'm side with the side that said no. <laughs> I said she likes to watch it. And I said uh, I was going to give you a reason for why she likes to watch it. It's because these people, they kind of get spun up with, with the tragedy and they kind of get lost in the circumstances. But my wife is not a hoarder. You need only come to my house and see, she's not a hoarder, right? My wife and I, we bought several houses. And each time we buy a house, we like to fix it up to the, to the condition of how we like to live, to the standard that we like to live. And it is without fail that every house that we move into, in the neighborhood that we move into it, as we start to fix it up to make it comfortable for ourselves, the neighbors around the neighborhood start coming to us and saying, what are you doing now? I've had several neighbors come up to me and say, man, you know, your grass is really green. You ought not be cutting it twice a week, man. You're, you're making me look bad. Man, dude, you have to paint your house again. You're making me look bad. And it's not a matter of making one to make someone look bad. Here's what it is. is We live here in this neighborhood, right? And this is our house. And so we have a vested interest in our house. We also know that our house is just one piece of the whole. And if I can fix my house, and if my neighbors next to them fix on their houses, then the whole neighborhood, the whole picture, the whole neighborhood benefits as a result. That was the motivation. We live here, so we're responsible for what takes place in our neighborhood. You guys with me on that? That's what Nehemiah was doing with the next two principles. The second thing that it does in putting people next to their home, it reduces travel time. People wouldn't have to travel to another part of the city to do their job. 
And so it, it, was, it, it was a way to conserve energy and time. And it was more efficient because, again, they were working close to where they lived. The other thing that it does is in case of, the, of an attack, the people wouldn't be so quick to abandon their post. Why? Because they were working with their family. They had a vested interest in what was going on. But I think this is probably the most important one, so I want you to hear me on this one. One of the reasons why he placed families together in different sections is because the whole task to be a family that operates together was designed to impact generations. I want to say this. You know, it's, it's sad to me that families don't work together anymore like they used to. You know, I, I, every now and then I run into you know, a young man or a young woman, a young man, for example, who's, you know, I'm a steel worker. My dad was a steel worker. My dad's dad was a steel worker. Steel worker has always been in my family. Why? Because it was passed down from one generation to the next generation. We don't see that very much anymore. The next two plan was designed to affect generations. Generations. Let me find my place. Where was I at? Okay. Look at this. Drop down to, chapter, to verse 12 of chapter 3. And next to Shalom, the sons of Halohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. They were working together, again, to affect generations. It was a family operation. You know, my father, he was like, quad vocational. He was a heavy equipment operator. He was a janitor. He was a pastor. Um, and, uh, and I was privileged to see him working in all of these different areas in life. As a heavy equipment operator, even today, watching my dad on, work on heavy equipment, when I'm around heavy equipment, I'm, I feel compelled to that because I watched my dad do it. As a, as a janitor, my father had a janitorial business, and the whole family worked in the business. And my dad would, 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 would assign each of us different tasks. My task was to clean the bathrooms. And to this day, I hate cleaning bathrooms. <laughs> hey, my brother agreed with me. I, I, I just despise it because I had to do it. Growing up was part of my task. And my dad would come in and he would inspect the bathrooms and he'd say something like this. Man, you don't want to do this all your life. Get your education. He would encourage me. Get your education so you don't have to scrub toilets. Now listen, let me tell you something. If you're a janitor, if you're a custodian, if this is your line of work, I'm not trying to belittle that at all. Be the best that you can be. I'm just telling you my father didn't have a choice. And so he was encouraging me to not have to do this all of my life. You can do better. And then often we would, leave, we would leave the janitorial business and we'd go straight to church. And, and while we were working janitorial, sometimes I'd watch my dad wash the windows and he'd be singing songs of praise in preparation for church. But he wouldn't be fully engaged with, with his work. He'd be fully engaged in praising God. And then he'd get to the church. And I'd watch him fully engage in the church as a minister and as a pastor and as a worshiper. 
that encouraged me to follow in his footsteps, not only me, but three of my brothers are pastors today because of the encouragement we saw from my father as he modeled and lived out godly living in front of us. You see, this is designed to be perpetuated from generation to generation. Family becomes the conduit through which the image of God is transferred one generation to the next. The next two plan is the heart of God. And the heart of the next two plan is the ability to encourage each other. Encouragement. Nehemiah knew the people would need it. They were, they were people that were downtrodden. They'd been beaten down for generations. And he knew that it would take constant encouragement, not only from him, but from others around him, them that were working side by side with them. You see, the next two planned family was affected because working side by side provided ongoing encouragement to get the job done. The only lasting way that we can ever battle discouragement is through the encouragement that we receive from one another in community. That's the only way. And Nehemiah understood this. That's the only way they were going to get the job done. As I was working through this, through this text this week, it dawned on me. We need one another to encourage each other. But I, I want to encourage parents with this. One of the greatest things that you can do as a parent is to not let your children start something and not finish it. One of the best things that you can do is to, is to not let your child begin a project and not see it through. Because by not doing that, by not uh, allowing them to see it through and forcing them to see it through, you set them up for failure. Discouragement. Here's a question. Have you ever been discouraged to the point to where you quit something too soon? Have you ever felt discouragement that, that, that was so bad that you just, the only thing you really needed was you just, if somebody could come alongside of you, if someone had just come alongside of you and just encouraged you in the time that you needed it most, it would have prevented you from making that decision that you made. It would have prevented you from making that bad choice that you made. If someone had just been bold enough to follow the lead of the Lord and listen to the Lord and just come alongside you to hold your arms up in that time of need and encourage you, you might not be going through what you're going through today. You ever experienced that? Some of the most encouraging people in my life have been people who have encouraged me in the, in the heart of my struggle and they could encourage me in such a way that I could grab a hold to that encouragement because I knew that they had gone through the same thing. Hmm. Hmm. We need to encourage each other. We need to encourage each other, especially when times get tough. Hmm. 
I'm not lost. I'm listening to the Lord. When you're working side by side with someone, when you're in a relationship with someone that you care about, even outside of your immediate family, into your extended family, it's hard to quit when you know someone is dependent on you to succeed, isn't it? When you know that someone is dependent on you to make it through because they've, they've shown you that they've made it through so you can make it through, it's tough to quit. You don't want to let them down. Dr. Crawford Ritz said this. He said, vision without determination is just the dream. And what makes the difference is the encouragement that we receive to see things through when times get hard. In this passage in chapter 3, there are four sources of encouragement that Nehemiah gives, and I want to give you all four of those. And then I'll be done. The first one is unity. And so you're asking me, Pastor, what are you talking about today? God has positioned us to, to be a family that can make a difference, and we will never realize what God has called us to do. We will never see the full effect of the work that he's called us to. We will never see that work be brought to fruition if we're not in relationship to the degree where we can depend on each other for encouragement. That's what the next two plan that Nehemiah has given us is all about. So the four sources of encouragement. The first is unity. We are not alone. Where there is unity, there is strength. And where there is strength, there's a force to be reckoned with. In this passage, every person brought what they had, their gifts to the table, irrespective of of any kind of status. You had the high priest and his brothers working next to the perfumers and working next to the, to the builders of Jericho. Everyone working side by side. Sons and daughters of God, no race barrier, no cultural barrier, no color barrier, no gender barrier. Everyone working together, no walls. Second source of encouragement is cause. Because of Israel's noble history, the walls represented something that was bigger than what was just going on with them. The rebuilding of the walls was more than just about their generation. It was an answer to past prayers. It was, a, it was an opportunity for them to work in the present to complete something through their efforts. And it was a statement for the next generation that would be much bigger than this and them and would last long after they were gone. The third of the fourth sources is confidence. Built into the human nature is this synergy that's produced when we see progress, isn't it? It's a human nature to glance side to one side or the other when you're working side by side with someone and want to pull your weight knowing that the person that's next to you is pulling theirs. 
It gives you confidence to know that the person that's working next to you is skilled in what they're doing and you're going to bring your gifts to the table and, and they're going to bring their gifts to the table and together you can complete anything that's in front of you. It makes you want to pull your own weight so we can experience success together. I think probably one of the greatest um, examples of that that I've seen in the recent past is the is the new NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors. Did any of you guys watch the NBA playoffs? So the Golden State Warriors are, are like the epitome of a team where every person has a role and each person brought their best to the table. I remember watching them be down in several, on several occasions by 20 points and you didn't find the rebounder trying to shoot jump shots. No, they kicked it out to the three-point shooter who did their job hitting three-pointers. You didn't find a three-point shooter down underneath trying to get a rebound. No, he was out there positioning himself to do what he did best that no one else on the team could do. You found the free-throw shooters that weren't good sitting on the bench and the good free-throw shooters out there. What's my point, Pastor? When, when you know that the person next to you understands their role and they are confident in what they're doing and they bring their best to the table, it gives you confidence to work side by side with them, doesn't it? That's the point. The fourth source of encouragement that we find in this text is protection, support, mutual dependence, they had each other's back. I got your back. I know you've got mine. We're going to fight for each other. We're going to do this thing together. I'm going to close with this illustration. I remember in grade school talking about fighting for each other and supporting each other. I remember in grade school you know, I, had, I, was, I was the leader of this group. I actually called them the Black Panthers. I had formed a gang. I was in an all-white school, and I had a group called the Black Panthers. <laughs> go figure. But me and the Black Panthers, we were going to go fight the junior high school students, right? We are only in the sixth grade. And we had our stuff on, you know, we were out there, we were getting ready, and we were out there, man, we were going to fight. And all of my friends were getting beat up. You know, they're getting hit in the nose, blood coming down and stuff, man. And I'm wanting to fight, you know, I could scrap a little bit back in the day. You know, I wanted to fight, but no one would fight me. And I'm like, come on, man, why don't you fight me? And finally, one of the guys walked up to me and said, man, we're not going to lay a hand on you. No way. Because if we fight you, We've got to fight your big brothers. <laughs> We're not about to have that. What if we became so tight as a family, we support each other so well, that we are in each other's lives in such a rich way that a person or, or uh, some organization or entity would dare not mess with us because, Carl, they know if they mess with you, they got to mess with me. They know if they mess with you, Carrie, they got to mess with me. They know that if they mess with you, sis, they got to mess with this sister over here. Why? 
Because to mess with one is to mess with them all. See, that's the, the encouragement that Nehemiah wants us to see from Nehemiah chapter 3. When we work next to each other, fulfilling the call that God has on us individually, when we come together collectively, there is nothing that cannot be accomplished. So what is it going to take for each one of us in here to let down the walls that we've built up in our hearts, to let other people who are in the body of Christ have the opportunity to come into our lives and then together we enrich each other. And, and together we begin to build something that God is proud of and that he can use to not only change a culture, but impact this city and generations to come. Will you stand with me? We're in a war, family. Next week, I'm going to talk about what do we do when we face opposition that seems overwhelming because we will. How do we handle that? I don't know if you know this or not. If you don't know it, let me, be the, let me, let me tell you. We are in a war for our own lives, for the lives of our loved ones. And the only way that we win this war, it seems counterintuitive, is not to rise up and to try to be strong in our own strength, it's to surrender our strength and surrender our will to relationship with Jesus Christ, to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So I'd like for you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me because I don't want to assume anything here today. Maybe you're here today and you said, Pastor, you know, it sounds real good, relationship with others and relationship with Jesus, but that doesn't resonate with me. It hasn't to this point, but I'm feeling this tug on my heart that maybe it's time for me to investigate to see what this is all about. Maybe it's time for me to really, truly surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. I don't want to assume anyone and everyone in here is a follower of Christ. Today might be your day to truly surrender to Jesus. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and today is your day to embrace his, his atoning work on the cross for you because he loves you and died for you. Today's a day for you to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him. I want you to raise your hand. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Pastor, you know, you were talking about discouragement and I'm, I'm really discouraged right now. I'm going through some tough times. I need someone to come alongside me, walk with me, support me. Be next to me. I won't embarrass you. Everybody keep your eyes closed. 
If you're finding yourself here on this journey and it's been tough for you and you need some support, I want to see your hand. I want to put some people beside you and around you. I see those hands. I see those hands. Father, I thank you today. I gave what you gave me. Lord, I know at points it may have seemed to me, I know it seemed to me that and maybe I was doing the speaking and not you, but Lord, I pray that you take every single word that was spoken here today and infuse your truth of these words into the hearts of my brothers and sisters for life change. In Jesus' name. Now, for those of you who raise your hands, um, if you'll be so bold, I'd like to meet you right over there where Mike is standing. We want to we want to bring some some people around you that can help you walk in this in, on this journey. Uh, you don't, you're not supposed to. We were never meant to be on this journey alone by ourselves. How many of you know that? Well, can we say that again? We were never meant to take this journey alone. How many of you know that? All right. So we want to put some people around you that can help you along the way. All right, let me pray for you and we're going to dismiss. Father, thank you so much for the awesome privilege of working side by side, walking side by side with other followers of Jesus Christ who love you just as much as I do. Lord, I'm asking you as we set our hands to cultivate the ground that you've given us, help us to draw strength from each other. Help us to discover our individual purpose and bring together everything that we have individually, together, collectively, so that you can work in us and through us the work that you have for us, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, the name above every name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.